listening to Hope Signals with Mark and Susan Mason, the podcast of Life on the Verge Ministries. Hope Signals is a podcast where we offer practical principles and motivational insights aimed at helping people navigate their hopes and dreams. Welcome to part two of Speak Easy, a series that I'm doing on uh, how we communicate to the world around us, how we build bridges and not burn them, uh, which I I just see a lot of that happening these days. And uh, so if you didn't listen to the first episode, maybe maybe that was the setup for where we'll go today. Uh, We had a great week last week. Just to give you a quick Life on the Verge update, Susan update. She's doing better. She's had this lingering headache. Uh, She hasn't gotten up this morning yet, and so I'm praying that she feels progressively better. She did laundry yesterday. People ask me, how is she doing? I say she's miserable but stubborn. Um, But praise God, she hasn't had any serious issues, and we're almost three weeks out. So um, a lot of people say that's a common length of time for this nasty virus to last. And so continue to pray for her that she'd get all the strength back that she needs so that we can do what God's called us to do and uh, give you an update on the Good Infection Project. We just uh, sent off all the master files to be duplicated and packaged. We've got a big shipment going out this time. Uh, Several different ministries contributed materials, books, and, and videos and things, and of course the stuff that we make right here in our home studio. And I got some great feedback from a chaplain in Florida who has invited us to come to a yard concert this spring, uh, telling me how they use those DVDs not just in chapel settings, but in small group settings uh, numerous times. And they were especially helpful early on when everything was completely shut down. Florida is nominally open, you know, with lots of restrictions, but they are getting some programs now and certain institutions, depending on what's happening there. So thank you for helping us to get those materials out there and really just make the statement that just because there was this virus and this quarantine and all that, we didn't let go of our calling, and those called to support us didn't let go of their calling either. So thank you. Then I had a great uh, Facebook chat with my friend Glenn Kaiser. Uh, those that don't know who Glenn is, he was at the top of the CCM charts back in the 80s with the Resurrection Band, uh, several Dove Awards uh, he won back in those days, and he's still out on the field doing prisons and evangelism and jails and just as radical as ever, uh, and so he's going to be sending us materials. He networked me with a couple of more chaplains out in Alaska that are interested in getting our materials, and so uh, that's one thing that's going on with the good infection. Uh, our album is almost it's ready to be mixed except for some keyboard parts. we got some great horn parts. Now, this, understand, them. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just telling you about the specifics of our album. Okay, the horn parts that we just got for two songs a guy did for me, this fella played with Frank Sinatra for four years. He still goes on cruises and things with, like, the OJs and a lot... The keyboard parts I'm waiting for, for, for are coming from a guy down in Miami who is the musical director for Dina Martin, um, 
who's quite the star in her own right, but she's the daughter of the infamous Dean Martin. Both these guys are musicians way out of my class. And then the fact that I'm getting materials, and I call Glenn Kaiser a personal friend. Uh, you know, Glenn, I quit my job in 1983 to go see the Resurrection Band, right or wrong. I was a new Christian. Um, but now I, he's my friend, and I play music with him. Now, I'm telling you this for a reason. It is how did I come across these people? How did I end up on a stage with with Glenn Kaiser and, and many other people? How can I send an email off to these world-class musicians and then willingly do things to help our ministry? How, how did all that happen? You know, my son recently released a song with the Manchester Orchestra, which was one of his favorite bands growing up. How does their lives intersect, and now they're doing music together? Well, I believe that when we make God's priority, our priority favor flows, plain and simple. That's all I can say, is I tried to make the priority that none should perish, and how can I reach people for Christ? Now, I, I have... Excuse me. What I suppose to be, uh, I conclude to be the calling of an evangelist. Um, I I tried being a pastor for many years, but I really had a uh, always had a I don't know just a, a bigger heart for those that never heard the gospel or never heard it in a way that they understood. I wasn't a very good nurturer. For those of you that I was your pastor, your youth pastor, I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, pastors are shepherds, and and they should be really concerned about the status of their flock. My take was, oh, you've come to Christ? All right, let's get to work. You know, let's get people out to the youth group. Let's get people out to church. Let's reach the lost. took me a lot of years to kind of figure that out. And so I have a, a, a very deep burden for communicating the hope that I've found in Christ to others um, in, a, in a vocational capacity. It is my vocation. Now, that's not the case for most of us. Uh, most of us just, you know, we go to work, we're an engineer, we're a business owner, we're a real estate agent, we're a construction worker or whatever, but that still doesn't alleviate us from the goal of building bridges to people and planting seeds uh, of the gospel uh, in people's lives. They may not come to Christ. You know, when I did come to Christ, it was because of all the seeds that were sown. When when people didn't think they were landing on good soil, some of them were. And so how do we, no matter what our, our vocation is, how do we communicate the hope that we have in Christ to others? You know, I was thinking about the beautiful thing it is to have a governor over our lives. We we have dual citizenship, right? Those of us that are in America, we are, well, really anywhere. You're a citizen of your country or your town or your city or your state or your province, um, but we're also citizens of the kingdom of heaven, which is actually the eternal kingdom and the one we should give priority to. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be good citizens and vote and speak up and get involved, uh, speak out against injustices and all. As, but we do it in a tactful way, governed by the Holy Spirit in, in all that we say and do. That's our goal. We all you know stumble. Listen, there's a Scripture in First Thessalonians five twenty three, I believe, where Paul talks about he wants wants us to be sanctified body, soul, and spirit. I've talked about this before. When we're born again, our spirit is suddenly brought to life. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, and suddenly 
We're new creations in the deepest part, the eternal part of who we are, our spirit. And that eventually starts to work its way into our, our heart or our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, the way that we think, our attitudes. And that works its way out to our physical being, right? Body, soul, and spirit sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart to God. God's end game is to make us more and more like Jesus as we walk with the Lord. And so we're born again in our spirit. Spirit is willing, flesh is weak. And so we struggle. Uh, You know, I was raised in Norfolk Public Schools, and so I have a vocabulary that's gotten better over the years. But I have, and then I was a cop for 10 years. So you, you can imagine the things that are in my mind that can make make its way out to my mouth uh, if I don't give the Holy Spirit control. And, and, and I've seen it, though, over the, over the years, God has tamed me more and more and helped me to become meek. Now, that's where, let's go there for a minute. The Bible says, Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Our pastor, the church we base out of, my friend Stan Grant, preached a wonderful sermon on Sunday. He's preaching on the Beatitudes where Jesus said, blessed are the meek. You can go to cloverhillchurch.com or, or search Clover Hill Church on YouTube and watch that message. Um, it's a fantastic message about what meekness is. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus was meek but he wasn't weak. He never backed down from opposition. Matter of fact, he got so angry at the injustice of the religious people of his day for overpricing uh, sacrifices at the temple that he made his own whip and just went bashing the tables and flipping them over and swinging his whip, right, and chasing them out of the, the temple. What meekness is, is its power under control. He uses the uh, illustration of a, a wild stallion that's got plenty of power, but it really isn't useful until it's broken and that power is directed and put under control. And so we have plenty of power. There's a lot that we could say, but when we say it, how we say it, how we communicate it, I said we communicate in word, deed, and gesture. Okay, being led of the Spirit, being governed by the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. How do we make God's priority our priority, that none should perish? How do we do that? How do we build bridges and not burn them? You know, there are obvious things. We, we need to operate our business or whatever it is we do with integrity. Obviously, if we lie to people or we bend the rules or that kind of thing. But I guess what sparked this more than anything was just to see the divide that, unfortunately, a lot of these social media algorithms are helping to create. Did you know, by the way, um, I think there's I think the show's called The Social Dilemma, and I think it was on Netflix, um, where these guys that helped, guys and gals that helped uh, start Facebook and Twitter and all that are talking about how these algorithms study us and figure us out, computers figuring us out by what we click on. So the news that we see agrees with our opinion, and we don't see the other side. So it's actually working at causing division instead of unity when we go on social media. And so I just see a lot of things that could be used to burn bridges. Again, I know, you know, uh, evil triumphs when good men do nothing. There's a time to stand up. There's a time to speak out. And I'm not saying that we don't do that. I'm saying we do that with tact. We do that with grace. We're very, very careful. There's been many times that I went to post something and the governor of my heart said, you know what? 
why don't you wait on that? And, and I know there's a lot out there to ignite us and fire us up and get us angry. That's what the, the, whole, the whole purpose of the news is to keep us inflamed so that they keep the conversation going. And, you know, they can be productive. I told you I have a friend that's running for governor in Virginia, and she is just a firebrand. And she, uh, you know, I, I pray she's led of the Spirit. She's out there saying some, some, some tough stuff. If you're called to that world, you you know, it's like an NFL player. You know, those guys, watch those guys on the field. They will talk trash. They'll shove each other around. They'll even go, you know, fist to cuff, man. Uh, but when it's over, the game's over, they're slapping high fives and hugging each other. It's part of the process. So if you're called to something where, where that's the world you live in, just be led of the Spirit in how you do it. And 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 again, as believers, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to say things. We're going to do things that the Holy Spirit later checks our heart. And we got to go back and and remedy that. And so how do we how do we build these bridges and not burn them? So I wanted to t- start by taking a look at uh, I guess the 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 greatest missionary other than maybe Christ himself, uh, evangelist that, that ever walked the face of the planet, was responsible for the majority of the New Testament, and that is Apostle Paul. How did Paul communicate to a culture? Now, when, we, when I talk about speaking easy, we Scripture says plenty about speaking easy to one another as believer-to-believer conversation. The, this is about communicating to those outside of the family of God. Okay, and we increasingly live in a more and more biblically illiterate uh, world. And so how do we communicate with people who don't know where we're coming from? Listen, this again is, I believe, connected to the favor of God over your life. And I have to keep bringing myself back to it. There's been so many miracles that when I just got back in step with the Holy Spirit and said, you know what, I'm not going to worry about coming up with ways to make money. and that's, that's That kind of thing can be important, but I'm just going to put my nose to the grindstone and do what you call me to do. And then out of, out of nowhere, blessings flowed. I just believe when we make God's priority our priority, no matter what it is. Listen, if you're called to business and, and you make a priority of your business or the priority of your business, listen, I want to be successful so that I can be a light in this dark world in what we do and that we can make resources. We can we can provide jobs for people. We can provide um, income. to. Ch- we can give donations to churches and to missions work. I want to prosper financially. Not, I mean, you know, once your basic needs are met, really, we're just gratifying the flesh after that. And there's nothing wrong with a little bit of, little bit of that. But, uh, but you want to be successful so that you can bless other people. When we make God's priority our priority, I believe, favor flows. So let's look at Paul. Man, it took a long time to get here. I'm sorry. In Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul is in Athens, right? Prominent Greek city. Uh, he's left his team back behind, I think it was in Berea. So let's pick up in verse 16. It says, Now, while Paul waited for them in, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. That word provoked means it aggravated him, it annoyed him, it enraged, it enraged him. It angered him to see that this city was given over to idols. And in my book, American Idols, I, I, 
I make the point, I think I chap, sub-chaptered this section, he cared about their condition. Do we care about the condition of the lost, the broken, those that don't have hope, those that are, that are, are bound for eternity apart from God, those that may, may be just total jerks on the outside and, and say the nastiest things and be our adversaries and be our enemies, but inside they have no hope. They're depressed. They have no governor over their lives. They deal with uh, addictions and, and just, just tragedies that we know nothing of. Do we, do we care about the condition of the lost? That's what, where Paul started. Where was his anger directed? It wasn't, it wasn't directed at the unbelievers, he was angry at the situation. You know, I, I once saw a preacher at a prominent Christian university when the book Da Vinci Code came out, which was a fictional book, by the way, um, but because it was, you know, it got outside of Scripture and it said some things that weren't scripturally accurate, this guy got into a rage in front of probably thousands of college students at an assembly, and he held a copy of Dan Brown's book in his hand, and he flung it across the room, almost cursing it. And I thought, well, reading the book, maybe Dan Brown needs Jesus, and this is the way you're going to build a bridge is to to toss his art across the room and, and basically call him trash? I don't think you really care about Dan Brown's condition. I mean, you care about getting, oh, the crowd just went crazy when he did that. You know, when I worked in forensics, I, I got in, enraged in my spirit. I got angered in my spirit against the enemy, not against the, listen, the perpetrators had to go to prison. That was, that, you, you did the, the crime. You now have to do the time. I still feel that way. But I care about their eternal condition. I care, I'm angry at the enemy who has fooled and blinded people and caused some 18-year-old kid to get involved in something that puts him in prison for the rest of his life. The boy that killed my brother, I, I'm, I, I'm not angry at him. I'm hurt, okay? But I'm angry at the enemy that, that stole his life. And obviously, you know, God had control of my brother, you know, God takes responsibility for my brother. If it was his time, it was his time, and I have to accept that. But I'm angry at the enemy. So where do we direct our anger? Not at, at other humans, other people, but at the enemy that's behind all evil. Verse 18, certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Now, let me back up and say, right before this, it says that Paul was reasoning with people in the marketplace. He was talking to people about the Lord and, and, and about the gospel in the marketplace. He was reasoning with people, and that got the attention of these Greek philosophers. And they said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? 
for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time doing nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. He cared about their condition, and he communicated in such a way that they invited him to speak to a wider audience, to speak to these Greek philosophers. Now, if he had been out there cursing the unbelievers and saying these caustic things uh, against the people, I don't think he would have got that invitation. But he was speaking easy. He was reasoning with people. And, and so he was invited to talk to an even larger crowd. Now, look, this isn't going to be typical for all of us. I want us to get the point is that I believe Paul genuinely cared about the condition of these people. And so he goes up and he's speaking to these Greek philosophers. Now, Paul is a Jew and he's a very well-trained religious Jew. He knows he was trained by the best Pharisee in the game back in the day. Gamaliel, I think his name is, if I pronounce that right. Um but there's a culture clash right here because these folks don't have Jewish backgrounds. They are Greek. They are Gentile to the core. So Paul gets up, and it says in verse 22, he stood up in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I will proclaim to you. Isn't that interesting? He was angry that the city was given to idols, but when he spoke to those philosophers, the first words out of his mouth was to compliment them for their curiosity about religion. He said, I see you're a very religious people. That would be like you being invited to speak to a coven of Wiccans and, and opening the conversation by saying, you know, I, I perceive that you're, you're very religious people. But then you you move on from there, which he did, okay? But he's building a bridge to these people. He doesn't get up and say, well, let me start by saying you're a bunch of idiots for worshiping these idols. He starts by complimenting their curiosity about religion. At least you're interested in the supernatural. And then he says, I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, and I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. He uses their idol, their altar, as a way to build a bridge to what he wants to say about Christ. So he knew something about their world as he walked around carefully looking at their objects of worship. So then he goes on to verse 24. He says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of which their dwellings will be, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Now, in my book, I say he connected them to calling. He's appealing to the sense of purpose. Listen, God that made you, don't think he, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, it's, but in him, he's the one that gave you breath. He's the one that, that determined we would be here together today. 
He's the one that determined where you would live. It's in him we live and move and have our being. And look, even one of your own poets have said we are his offspring. So, so think about that, how, how Paul is speaking easy in this conversation. First off, when he was reasoning with people in the marketplace, he wasn't throwing stones at unbelievers. He was reasoning with them. That gained the attention of these philosophers who took him to Mars Hill, the, the Areopagus, to speak to these prominent Greek philosophers in Athens, and he begins by complimenting them for being curious about religious things. He lets them know he knows something about their world, and he starts building the bridge. And then he appeals to their sense of purpose, their sense of calling. And so he's speaking easy. Now, we're going to see the result of this uh, by the time we get to the end of it. Let me see how I'm doing on time. Okay, for the sake of time, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off on the Scripture. Let's just talk a minute a little more about how this pertains to us. Listen, I have a friend, and he is my friend, and he is a very, very smart educated as in a PhD, got he graduated Old Dominion University with double bachelor's degrees, uh, I forget what they were in, political science and something else, then he went on to get his master's, his PhD, uh, he is my friend, and he is a hardcore, super educated atheist. Now, I've never tried to have an intellectual argument with him about the existence of God. We went through the police academy together, okay? And he's the, this police academy I went through with Virginia Beach, six, it, it probably isn't like this anymore, but back in 2000 when I did it, there were 600 applicants. Only 50 got chosen for two upcoming academies of 25 thereabouts. In my academy, over half the class were college graduates. Several were former law enforcement a um, bunch of bright guys. One guy, graduate of Notre Dame. I mean, just, there was some some uh, that cat. Virginia Beach is is one of the the better paying and better trained police departments in in Virginia, perhaps in the country. Uh, so it was a quality police academy. So this guy comes through, and I didn't know he was an atheist, but we took tests every week, academic tests. And the first week, I beat him. And uh, then we got to know a little more about each other. Eventually, it came out that. You know, I was a believer. I, you know, at some point I was reasoning with somebody. I think it happened this way. Is, is, is first off, I worked hard at my job. At that time, it was to be, you know, a, a rookie in the police academy, not even a rookie at a cadet or whatever they called it. Um, and so I had to do well at what I was hired to do. And uh, so I scored that top, top academic score the first week, then the second week, then the third week. Eventually, I think an instructor was in our class, and he asked us to, hey, tell me some, a leader that you look up to. And people were raising their hand and saying Lincoln and different different people. And I raised my hand, and I said, Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, by then, I'd built some bridges to people. They knew that, that I was good at what I did, you know, that I, I you know, I was a team player. I was, you know, I, I've was somewhere in the middle when it came to the physical part of it, and I didn't make the class suffer, which they would make you do if, if you were in the back part and you were running slow. They made everybody suffer till you caught up. I'm going way too deep on this. But the point is, is that eventually me and this guy began to, you know, kind of clash a little bit. In the end, 
um, I shattered his illusion that all Christians are stupid by beating him for the top academic score of that police academy, and I got the you know plaque and all that stuff. And so we became, you know, friends. And I've only I've had, I, mean, I haven't seen him in ten years, but we see each other on Facebook once in a while. And he's actually liked a couple of things that we've done as Life on the Verge. And he posts all sorts of liberal stuff. He is an extreme left guy. So I got, you know, he. I, I don't get mad at him. You know, I I, I pray for him, and and uh, you know, I I can't save anybody. I can only plant the seeds. And so, if I had now, this relationship is now twenty one years old, and we still see each other on social media and stuff, and we have a respect for one another. I'll listen to what he has to say, uh, but he's listening to what I have to say because I didn't come at him with this, you're an idiot, you atheist. Now, there's just so many memes out there that, that mock atheists on, on, online, you know, and you can post that and, and everybody will clap that agrees with you. But uh, the people that we want to reach, that we want to build a bridge to, they're not even paying attention. Or you're getting into fruitless arguments. Now, there may be a time for that. Don't get me wrong. There may be a time. That's why I say it's about being led by the Holy Spirit. There is a time and a place for saying hard stuff. But too often, it's just too easy in our world to be nasty behind a computer screen um, or even in person or from a pulpit. And so let's look at what Paul did here. He had every reason to mock these philosophers for worshiping idols, to attack them. He didn't. He saw the enemy is Satan himself, who's behind all of this idol worship and all of this blind spiritual blindness. And so if we truly believe that Jesus is the answer for what ails mankind, then we've got to communicate his love. We've got to understand that Jesus saved his harshest words for the religious actors, the hypocrites. That's what that word means in the Greek, hypocrite. People that acted like they were, were religious, but inside they were selfish. They were full of selfish ambition and greed. He said they were like dead men's bones inside. So when we're talking to people that don't get it, that are biblically, biblically illiterate, that when we're, when we're communicating through word, through deed, through gesture— Let's be led of the Spirit in how we do that. And let's look at Paul's example. Let's start by really genuinely caring about their condition. Listen, I wrestle in my flesh with this. Look, my brother was the victim of a murder. So when I see heinous crimes, I want to see the picture of the person that did this so that I can just get all fired up inside. You scumbag, right? But then the Lord says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's a price to pay for the crime they committed. But, but I want them to be in heaven with me. I want them to discover new life in Christ. And he checks my heart. It's the only way that I could do what we do. Because in my flesh, I rage against, you know, some of the injustice and violence and crime and evil that I see. But I look at Paul and where his anger was directed, not at the people, but at the real problem, the enemy himself. 
And so uh, we'll, we'll go further in the next episode. We're already almost 32 minutes in. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope this just puts some seeds out there for you and causes you to think, you know, I, again, if you want to find somebody that completely agrees with you on every issue, you're going to have to look in the mirror. So thanks for listening, and I'm certainly welcome your feedback and even your, your uh, disagreement or your viewpoint. Let's have a conversation. Bless you. Thank you for listening to Hope Signals. You can learn more about us at lifeontheverge.com. We're a completely donor-funded ministry that carries the good news to prisons around the United States. You can help us by sharing this podcast, by partnering with us with a tax-deductible gift at lifeontheverge.com, or by even talking to your leader or pastor about having us come and minister at your church or your business.